One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, the podcast that looks at the stats and XG of Celtic FC. The last couple of weeks we have been extremely negative, but it is the season to be happy, and we finally have something to be happy about. Celtic have finally won a game. They've actually won two games in a row. It seems quite weird that we're actually celebrating those, but over the last couple of weeks we just needed that. We needed that lift, and Juco James is on the line with me to celebrate slash nervously look ahead to the Scottish Cup final this week. Uh, James, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. So, as I said, it's 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 been a weird week. It's uh, it's not something that we've become accustomed to over the last month and a half or so, and that's Celtic winning a football match. Yeah, it was big relief. Uh, first, I want to say we haven't fired Allen. Uh, Alan couldn't make it this week, so you're stuck with me for the most part, unfortunately, uh, for better or worse. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's a big relief. And most importantly, I, I don't think it was due to randomness, which is the most optimistic thing I can say. Uh, I can actually attribute it to some changes that were made. And uh, that creates some hope as long as the I think the lessons are learned from what those changes actually reflected and and resulted in a, a better performance level. So um, there's some concern about that as we'll talk about. But uh, yeah, there's definitely reason for for hope. I think. Yeah. So those changes that you mentioned are most notably Connor Hazard who came into nets, Ismail Asaro who came into the midfield, and David Turnbull as well. All three of them started against uh, Lille last week in the Europa League, and all three of them started again in the two 0 win against Kilmarnock. Mohamed El Yunusi and Shane Duffy were the goals in those in that game. Positives from this game, first of all, obviously. I want to start with Ismail Asaro because he started against Lille. He was exceptional against Lille. I know a lot of the plaudits went to David Turnbull for both these games because, again, he also had two brilliant games over the last week or so. But in my opinion, I don't think that would have been possible without Ismail Asaro playing beside him in midfield. And it's a change that we badly needed over the last month. Yeah, so his performance against Lille was... um, uh, not dissimilar to Laxalt's in, in his first uh, matchup against Lowe, meaning that the volume and efficiency of what he did in midfield were you know, pretty incredible, actually, uh, very high end. 
uh, as long as, as well as his ability to break lines with some some passing. I actually documented that on Twitter after the game, uh, going through the three sequences where he um, really broke lines and created scoring opportunities on two out of the three. And, you know, that's not something that we've been getting from that deep line midfielder position in, in defensive midfield. Um, so that, that, that was huge. Actually, his, his, his performance, his underlying performance against Kilmarnock was fine. It wasn't anything great, um, but it was competent. And uh, I think most importantly, there was positional discipline and shape that was maintained. And I think, uh, th- this is one of the reasons why I've been so um, proactive in discussing the need to make a change in that position is because my analysis has suggested that it's not a, just a direct one-for-one issue. It's actually um, kind of a, a, a uh, it's called a, 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 like a network effect, meaning that uh, the issues from that position are compounding into the performance levels of other players. And that's had a ripple effect through the midfield back to the defense and then all the way up to the attack. And I think the most encouraging thing from Sunday is that with kind of a okay performance from Soro, nothing, you know, like I think that could be a run in the mill kind of common performance for him. Um, You know, he didn't do anything exceptional. He didn't do anything terrible, but the impact that his just presence had relative to what that empowered uh, McGregor to do, his output went up tremendously. Uh, The defensive solidity was really the best we've had all season. Uh, Kilmarnock basically had zero chances from open play of any consequence. I mean, it was dominant in that regard. Uh, The the one um, scoring opportunity of significance was off of a header. I'm not sorry, not off a header, off a corner. Um, and it was a good opportunity. I mean, it was right in front of the goal. Yeah. <laughs> it, it very easily could have gone in. But that's where we get back to this issue of, of variance and having a spread in performance levels between the opponent and Celtic where, you know, sometimes that shot's going to go in. You know, sometimes you're going to give up a goal in a corner. I mean, we saw that with Rangers game against Dundee. D- Rangers very – I mean – Rangers dominated that game, but it very easily could have been a 1-1 draw without an incredibly good free kick from Tavernier. And because uh, I think his name's Smith from Dundee, who's a defender, had an incredible goal that he scored on a nice cross. I mean, how often is that going to happen? Well, mm-hmm. in one-off games, it happens. So that's the, that's the kind of thing where we've been so close. In our, we've had no margin for error in these games, even against poorer sides, that uh, what was great about Sunday is it showed that we could get our performance levels up to a point where that risk of dropping points goes way down. It's not going to be eliminated, as we saw from, you know, Man City versus West Brom yesterday. Those kind of games happen. I mean, that's why teams don't go undefeated, even when they're vastly superior. Um, that, you know, you're going to have draws here and there and even a loss once in a while. And I think Soros' presence, mere presence and competence on Sunday uh, was reflective of, of you know, um, how badly needed this this change has been. Yeah, and we spoke about that over the last couple of weeks in terms of Celtic's XG and XG against Celtic. Is that going forward, we're underperforming where our XG should be and we're uh, 
again, teams are outperforming us in terms of their XG. So they're closer games, like the St. Johnson game that ended in a draw. That should have been much uh, more in favour of Celtic going into that if they were playing better and the confidence was higher. And the players around, the players starting in that game were performing to the baseline in which they should be. And that's kind of what's what Sorrow playing well, not great, but well against Kilmarnock does to a team. It has this ripple effect that it allows the likes of, the, the likes of Shane Duffy not to be pulled out of position as much. It allows Conor, uh, Cal McGregor to get forward a lot more and it allows players like David Turnbull, who are creative in that number 10 role, to get forward a lot more without the defensive handcuffs that have been on the Celtic midfield over the last couple of weeks so that's sort of where Celtic are at at the minute against Kilmarnock in terms of David Turnbull because he obviously got a lot of praise what did you make of his performance what kind of uh, stats or data do we have on him from the Kilmarnock game yeah I think probably the most important uh, revelation with Turnbull is his delivery on set pieces uh, not surprisingly, I mean, I think, you know, the eye test would have would show that, obviously, uh, the Duffy goal. But um, a significant chunk, I, th- I think it was a, almost um, a quarter of our XG from the game against Kilmarnock was from set pieces. And uh, so that means not only are the deliveries good, they're being put in a, in a place with, you know, weapons, players like Duffy and, and Julian, who are very good in the air, uh, to do something with it and put shots on target and be goal threats. And that's uh, obviously just a one-off game, you know, small sample, all the usual disclosures and warnings about it. But uh, his the rate of shots on target was more than double what we've been averaging in games this season. Um, and the XG per shot, I mean, these were really good. I mean, we, we very easily, again, and, you know, we're talking about variance, we could have scored three goals off of set pieces and it wouldn't be shocking in that game. Uh, D- both Duffy and Julian had very good um, opportunities kind of inside the 12, uh, you know, inside the penalty spot, basically, and in into the six yard box going towards goal, pretty much free headers that, you know, the, their keeper made a good save on one and, um, I forgot. I think Duffy might, Duffy's yeah, Duffy Yeah, Duffy hit one straight at the keeper. Uh, yeah, that was right. Free right. Kick. He, he actually scored a more difficult chance than he, uh, than he should have really scored that one as well. Right, yeah, that was an exceptional header. Uh, made my neck sore just watching it. Um, so so that, that, his, and that, that was actually um, something that was uh, obvious in his time at Motherwell as well. Meaning that if you look at his expected assists or XA, uh, a, a huge portion of him. He's one of the top in the league uh, in that season. I think it was eighteen, nineteen, where he before he got his knee surgery um, with, with Motherwell, and then in the time that he had in limited time with Motherwell last season, and then the very limited time with us, uh, his expected assists are top of the, towards the top of the league. Um, but a large percentage of that, uh, more than half, is actually from. Uh, set pieces so corners and, and direct kicks and uh, so his his uh, I think he's got a lot of potential for, from that standpoint in open play as well um, but I think that's probably where that's it's an area where he can develop more if he's 
you know, kind of guided well um, in making a little bit better decisions from shooting perspective, because that's probably the downside that I've seen so far, particularly if he's going to play in a number 10 role, which is a whole different conversation, probably yeah. not my favorite role for him, um, is his, his decision-making on shot selections questionable at best let's say he's he's more in lines with Christie, maybe not quite as wild as Christie, uh but his his volume of shots has been very high i think he had five which is very high mm-hmm. uh against kilmarnock and you know most of them are from long range and um you know not very uh high probability of of going in and the problem with that is not only they're not likely to go in but the opportunity cost that is there in potentially passing on to a teammate who's in a more dangerous area. And that, that definitely was the case um, in, in the game against Kilmarnock where there were, you know, uh, he, he, passages of play where he could have made a pass to a teammate that was in a dangerous area where a better quality opportunity may have arisen had he made that decision. So um, I, I think supporters have a very uh, 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 good reason for optimism with, with Turnbull. I mean, I think that the tools and the talent is, is really obvious. Um, so we, we, it's, it's a, a real reason to be excited. Yeah. And I suppose, look, some, sometimes pot shots do come off. For example, Mohamed El, El Yunusi's goal, which was probably not going in had it not taken a deflection. And then Ryan Christie's goal against Aberdeen in the Scottish Cup semi-final as well. Like some, sometimes they do go in, but the the point of the matter is that over a long period of time, if you look at the trends, you're less likely to score. So the better option generally is to pass it into a player in a more dangerous position. And I suppose one thing that I do want to say about this, and it's definitely not to put a downer on things whatsoever, I I do think Sorrow and Turnbull have been the changes that we have been wanting as Celtic fans over the last couple of weeks for sure. And they definitely did improve the side. But I would be worried about a little bit of confirmation bias coming into things whereby... Celtic have won two games with the two of them and the team and all of a sudden they're the saviors of this season and this will continue for the rest of the season. That may not be the case. Like it could be something just small that happened in the change room. The players just finally got a bit of luck. And what I would say is that in four to five weeks time, if we're still playing with sorrow and Turnbull in the team and the trend is that Celtic still continue to play better and win games and everybody's XG goes up, then you can say that it was down to Turnbull and Sorrow coming in. But after two games, I don't think, I think it's too early to put all our eggs in that basket. And another change that was made was Celtic went four at the back. They had Christopher Iyer playing right back and uh, Greg Taylor came in at left back. Now I know that you've been sort of banging the drum for Greg Taylor to play in a back four against these weaker sides. So what did you make of Greg Taylor against Kilmarnock? I know he put in a couple of good crosses anyway. Yeah, so it was kind of a vintage Greg Taylor performance. Um, and yeah, I, I think your your characterization of my views is is accurate and an important distinction, meaning that um, the, the good side with Taylor is that when he has some space to operate, his, his uh, crossing ability is, is pretty good. Um, the issue arises when he goes up against more physically challenging uh, opposition or teams that deploy that kind of player in a more aggressive way. You know, so there's teams that will kind of sit back and give him space to cross, which is not real wise. Uh, and then there are other teams, even off with you know against opponents that are of a lower level that might have a right back that's 
you know, physically um, a little bit more athletic and they closed the space down on him. So he, he, I think he completed or he's accurate on three of 10 crosses, which is okay. I mean, that, that's a, that's a decent um, uh, uh, accuracy rate. Uh, the problem is he's not generally a good passer overall. He turns the ball over a lot. Um, I think his, his forward pass completion percentage is around 60%, which is okay. not good. Yeah. yeah so, uh, but he's, he's solid defensively too. Um, and I think positionally, that's a question that we still have with Laxalt. Um, you know, one, one of the big issues with the lineup that we'd had when you had Christy Brown and Laxalt in is it, you know, uh, as I'll call it the headless chicken phenomena. Um, you know, the three guys that tend to run around a lot and not necessarily uh, with any kind of coherent uh, shape in mind. Uh, so I think uh, t- Taylor uh, seems to be a little bit better in that regard as well. So I don't have any problem with him playing or being rotated in against uh, those kind of opponents, particularly at, at Celtic Park. Um, I would be a lot more concerned against – I mean, we're really left with one team that we have to worry about from a high level of competition – uh, and, and that's Rangers. So personally, I, I would not want Taylor to play in, in, in any of the remaining derbies. Yeah, and b- before Celtic actually brought uh, Diego Laxalt into the team, I was saying that Greg Taylor is actually fine. I mean, he's not a bad player, but he's not the player that you want starting in your team if you're Celtic, if you're fighting for the title. He's the player that you want there as your backup left back, and he's a perfectly capable backup left back, but he's not going to take you to the next level in Europe, and he's not going to take you, take you to the next level in the bigger games as well. So working our way back, I suppose Connor Hazard is another player that came in in the game and came in against Lille. A lot of people on Twitter I see... I, and I know Twitter's not the best way to gauge things, but there's a lot of talk saying, like people almost laughing at the fact that Connor Hazard has made one save and suddenly he's Celtic savior when it comes to in Nets. I, I, I certainly don't think that's the case, but he's probably the only goalkeeper that Celtic have with any bit of confidence left in him at the minute. Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge there, I mean, he's basically a Jackson Pollock painting in a, in a way. Um, so you, you can kind of imagine... Uh, what you want because we don't know. I mean, he just hasn't played enough uh, for, you know, someone who focuses on stats and data. I mean, I, I mean, I've watched some of his performances when he's been out on loan, that kind of thing, but there's just not enough of a sample size there relative to any decent level of competition. I mean, he hasn't done anything wrong, but again, as Alan and I talked about when we, uh, and the three of us discussed the the keeper position um, recently. It's, you know, there, there hasn't been any glaringly bad keeper play uh, either with Bain or Barkas either. So this goes back to this issue. How much better did Duffy look on Sunday in a coherent uh, uh, mid with a coherent midfield and an athletic mm-hmm. midfield playing in front of him? I, I think a lot better. And again, I think it, to, to to be fair to Bain and Barkas, I think uh, I'd like to see Barkas in particular, given the investment and his pedigree, uh, get a shot. And and I don't think you know he. he I, I guess the I don't think that there's a great likelihood that Hazard's going to be a dramatic upgrade over Barkas. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. He might be as competent. He might do as well. So you know, coin flip. That's fine. And you know, there's some talk about. 
I, I think the the national manager from Greece talked about was quoted in the media about you know some weight loss from Barkas when he was on on international duty. So I mean you know as we've we've heard other players state. I mean Duffy this week, El Hamid reportedly going back to Israel. I mean some of these guys are living in conditions which are not you know, really favorable. I mean, uh, living alone, not being, you know, with, with Scotland having them back in lockdown, um, you know, it can be brutal and, mm-hmm. and mental health could suffer. I could certainly imagine. So we just don't know what's going on with all of these players in their personal lives either. Um, so that could be factoring in. I mean, maybe Barkas just wants to get out of here too. I mean, uh, which, you know, w- I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't begrudge anybody that's in such a tough living conditions to, to have some challenges in that regard. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm fine with the switch. I mean, I, I given the performance levels, um, I think he'll be fine again with that one caveat. We, we basically have three, you know, uh, big games left. <laughs> Uh, assuming that we, <laughs> assuming there's no calamity and we are in the top six post split. Um, so, you know, is he going to be up to task playing in a hypercharged Derby against a quality European level side? You know, the little performance was okay. You know, it, it wasn't much different than what Barkas or Bain had done in Europe, in my opinion. Uh, he didn't make any egregious errors. Could he have done better on the one goal? I think maybe, but. You know, so I, I, I think it's okay. Um, yeah. I think it definitely helps having Shane Duffy, Julian, Ayer, Sorrow in, in the side because especially having Ayer as a right back because as we've spoken about with Jeremy Frimpong playing to the right of Shane Duffy, Shane Duffy is almost overcompensating for Frimpong either being way up the field and not in his position or if it's coming over his head. Shane Duffy's almost trying to overcompensate there and then there's space in the middle and then Brown is not making up that space. So I think all throughout the team, the last week has shown that if you have players who keep their position and hold them properly, then they're actually really good players. They're just underperforming because they're all being dragged and pulled out of position where they normally would be. And that's the result of that has been conceding goals and losing games and not winning games. But I suppose looking looking forward to the weekend because it's a massive game. It's a, absolutely huge for, and it could be a turning point in the season if Celtic go on to win the Scottish Cup because the confidence will be high going into this game after the two wins and winning a cup, winning a domestic cup and winning it for the fourth season in a row. That we, we we talk about data quite a bit. This this podcast is data driven, but you can't really calculate what that could mean in the players' heads when it comes to winning that game. So, going into the Hearts game, Neil Lennon has scared me a little bit with his comments, saying that he he he, he wants to trust the players who got the the team to the final, and that some players had played themselves into the team. But he wants to give people who got them there a chance to prove themselves in the final, which does not scream confidence to me. Yeah, I think he scared a lot of people, me included. Um, I think that's where, to me, the main risk that we face now, and I've I've been talking about uh, 
you know, we, we, we needed someone with the courage to drop Brown because it, it was never going to be a, an easy decision to make for the obvious reasons. Uh, and then we need somebody competent enough not to make blatantly, you know, ridiculous decisions. <laughs> um, and, and this is an example of that in, in my judgment. I mean, to, to, to view what we've viewed in the last two games um, and to attribute the improvement in the team play to confidence or better psychology or more effort, um, I think is crazy. Uh, the obvious analytical pieces that have changed it, and we talk, talked about it at the beginning, uh, the biggest is, is Soros inclusion. And in, in, in my view, and I think that's clear. I mean, I, when I, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not as if uh, we just rolled out of bed today and started talking about this. I mean, th- these have been things that we've been talking about since the beginning of the show. And I've been documenting for um, uh, almost a year now. Um, so th- there's, there's uh, fairly obvious analytical reasons as to why performance levels went up. And my fear uh, and, and this is, you know, as someone who's quantitatively um, and analytically inclined, I think one of the main cultural reasons or issues, I should say, in, in Scottish football in particular, I mean, I think it's a, U- a UK wide and maybe even in Ireland too, is th- there's an, a misattribution of psychological factors in, in people's analytical models, right? So that's a, a, a geeky way of saying, so I, I think, intangibles, confidence, concepts like momentum, um, they, they certainly exist and, and they're important leadership. They're all important. I think they're probably a fraction of the level of importance that the culture of football in, in the UK and Ireland place on them. So for example, just to use numbers, you know, I, I think on the margins, let's say they account for three to 5% of performance levels for a team. I think the culture of, of supporters uh, amplifies that at least five times. <laughs> right. Okay. So, and I think that's, that's, you know, I've been very critical of Lennon and, and his decision-making because I, I think he, you know, I think he's from that world where he, he, he thinks it's five times more important than it is something like that. Right. So, my concern is that he's going to come out of the last two games and say, well, we just needed to turn the corner. We've turned the corner. We've got our confidence back and that the, the legitimate major reasons are psychological as opposed to um, selection issues, tactical issues, the shape mm-hmm. issues, all of these things that we just talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, that's by far the most important lesson to be taken from the last two games. And I don't have any confidence, particularly after what he said, that that's the lesson that, you know, he drew from those two games. And I think the, the problem becomes, I mean, we, we, we come to a situation now where hearts are not a horrific team. I mean, even though they're in the championship now, I mean, they're basically on the level of, let's say a Kilmarnock or, you know, kind of, they're they're better than Ross County. <laughs> they're better than probably St. Johnston. 
Uh, and we saw all those recent performances against that level of opponent. So, and when you get into a one, you know, a single game, a, a knockout game and a cup final, um, I mean, we just played them in the 1819 cup final and it was a close game. And um, I don't think they're materially different from a quality perspective. And if we include Brown in the lineup, for example, or even play, you know, I would argue, I, I don't get the coherence of playing Frimpong at right wing at this point. And again, I think that's, you know, you, you get the good and the bad with Lennon's selection. I think uh, the Iyer move uh, seems to be working, whereas the Frimpong move, not so much. Yeah. And um, so I, I think that it would get back to this issue of risk and the variance of a single game and that the type of decisions that Lennon makes to increase that risk and, if he goes, if he follows through with what he's discussed, I mean, I, I don't think inclusion of Rogic or Christie relative to Turnbull. I mean, it's not my preferred selection at the number 10. I'd prefer Turnbull at this point, but the difference is not going to be so dramatic where I would say that's going to singularly decide whether we win the game or not, or have a significant driver in that. I think selecting Brown over Soro could um, have a material impact on the game. And uh, you get into just having these horrible thoughts, meaning that uh, I, I, I forget which podcast I listened to this week that uh, mentioned something like this. It's like, imagine going into a cup final and almost dreading that Brown selected and we win five nil, which is certainly within the realm of possibilities. Um, and then, you know, what does that mean about going into the Derby and Lennon maybe reverting back to bad ideas? Yeah. <laughs> um, so th th that's the kind of thing going into a game. It's like th that's just something that we shouldn't have to be thinking and worrying about. But at this stage, I mean, it's, it's um, completely rational, I think, to, <laughs> to be concerned. Yeah, definitely. And the way that he talks about loyalty going into this, it it's, it doesn't make sense for a manager of this standard to be talking about loyalty going into the final. That, honestly, honestly, what he said during the week reminds me of my manager in Sunday League football. If we got to a final and there was a few people that played well in the semi, came off the bench, and he said that he's going to stick with the players who got them to the final. That's the level I would expect a manager to be talking about that. You're talking about a Scottish Cup final here. You're not talking about Sunday League football. You need to start the best players who are going to give you the best level of performance. And honestly, Brown has been great for Celtic over the last couple of years, but this year he has not. So why in God's name would you consider starting him in a, in a once-off game that there is a trophy at stake? It makes absolutely no sense. It would be baffling for him to make that decision. On the other hand, I actually don't think he will start Brown. I think what you alluded to there is probably more than likely going to be Turnbull that might fall out of the team and maybe Mohamed El Yunusi might also come out for Christie up front or something weird like that. I'm not actually sure what he's going to do, but I I just don't think the starting Brown would be best practice at all. It, it, and it makes absolutely no sense to me. Going into this game, I know you do your distributions over the before the games. Have you done one for Hearts have you, or... Yeah, so Hearts are dominating the championship, which isn't all that surprising. Um, their kind of, uh, you know, XG differential in, in games this year. No, they haven't played much because of the late start with the championship. 
they had a cup game against Hibs, which is really the only significant barometer that we can have relative to a, a decent level opponent. Uh, I mean, Dunfermline's okay in the championship, I think, for that level. But um, so, you know, again, they're, they're going to be a, a competent, physical, uh, you know, opponent that's, that's going to be motivated for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and, you know, Boyce has had a good season so far. Again, it's eight games, I think, that they've played. Uh, so, you know, this is this was back to just basic competence, which is how important I think not playing Brown is, is uh, we should have a massive physical advantage over them if we play the same team. Or let's say, you know, my preference would be to swap Christie in for Frimpong uh, or even Mikey Johnson. I mean, somebody get, get, get an actual wing playing winger. I mean, it might be too early for Johnson from coming back, but um, you know, at least Christie's played a significant amount of time there. I mean, poor Frimpong getting yo-yoed around in different positions and <laughs> him running around like he doesn't know where he's supposed to be, which I don't think he knows where he's supposed yeah, to be half the time. My, my favorite um, clip when I was watching back the highlights of this game, this, or the, of the Kilmarnock game this morning, is uh, Jeremy Frimpong bursting forward with the ball. He got it, I think he got off Sorrow, who burst into the midfield, and Christopher Iyer absolutely legging it down on the left wing into the box, and Frimpong takes a shot, and, and because there's nobody in the stands and no commentary on the highlights, all you can hear is Iyer going, ah, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I I think if if we were to basically have the same lineup or, you know, put Laxalt in for Taylor again against a hearts level opponent, I, I, I'm agnostic there. I think both would be fine. Um, but if you look at hearts lineup, I mean, they're not terribly big, you know, they're, they're not, they don't have a lot of pace. Uh, I, I think they'll probably look at what they've done so far this year. They're probably going to either play four, two, three, one, or four, one, four, one with uh, you know, one of their big, uh, midfielders in, in the, or, or two of them in the pivot or dual pivot. So they're going to play, you know, and if they're at all reasonably competent, they're going to play narrow. They're going to, you know, play defensive and look to hit us on the counter. And I think Boyce is at least competent enough that that could be an issue and then get back to set pieces, defending set pieces and where we've had issues. Um, you know, if we have that lineup of Iyer and Duffy and, and Julian, then that, that can significantly help in that regard. Um, so, or hopefully anyway. Um, yeah. So I just, to, to me, it shouldn't be a, a, a terribly difficult selection issue uh, outside of a couple of spots, which again, I, it's picking between, you know, and, and as we move forward past Sunday, even, I mean, we're, we're getting to the point of proximity now to January 2nd, where we don't have a lot of um, time left to be figuring out what we're going to do in the Derby. And again, ultimately there, there's two parts to this. One is to get to a level of, of play where we're not dropping points re regularly against inferior competition. Right. So I think what we've done, if, if we learned the lesson from Lil and Kilmarnock, I think we've crossed that, you know, hurdle mm -hmm. um, where, uh, you know, people were talking about the first half being so or, you know, dire or poor against Kilmarnock. I think we need to remember these guys have not played together. Uh, we haven't had a functioning midfield all season. Um, you know, Edward all of a sudden started to actually get some service and he didn't finish a couple of chances, but he will. I mean, uh, so th there, that can blossom. We, we can, 
uh, with some time and some training and actually working on it, I mean, it seems pretty clear that we haven't been training with Soro in the first team <laughs> uh, or having this connective tissue and these relationships formed with Turnbull and Soro in the mix. So that, that, this was all kind of organic. This just mm-hmm. kind of blew onto the scene. Um, even if it's luck that it happened, well, it's happened. So we'll get over that hurdle. But Rangers are too good to just walk in and assume that we're going to be able to win three derbies just because we have better players. I mean, they're beating teams playing their best players with competent management in Europe, right? So that's, that's a threshold. That's a hurdle that we need to get over, which is not only playing the best 11, but having a coherent tactical plan going up against a difficult opponent. Yeah. And we basically have, what, three games left now to figure this out. And it seems like the entire game plan – to do this was three five two, <laughs> so so what's the game plan now? I mean, what where are we coherently figuring out what to do going into the derby? And maybe they'll spring something. You know, Lennon's been fond of springing things in the past, yeah, and that could work. I mean, he's, he's been a gambler in big games to our detriment a lot, um, but also it works sometimes. I mean, it it worked in the first derby last season at Ibrooks. Uh, where basically we sprung a tactical trap on them and it it worked. So, you know, I don't know what the game plan is. I'm not sure we know what the game plan is, being Celtic. Uh, and again, if we go back to just doing something weird on Sunday, now we're down to what, two games after that or three. I forget who, you know, Dundee and... Ross County again. I forget if there's one more in there, given how crowded the the fixture um, schedule is. But so again, it, it's back to this issue of uh, coherence and competency, and to do something on Sunday that that uh, removes an opportunity to get better and more coherent and and more time with these guys playing together. I just think would be such a bad decision given what's at stake yeah exactly. uh, yeah yeah it's it's an absolutely massive game and hopefully that Celtic do get a, actually get a result against Hearts but more importantly like you're saying and what we've been praying for over the last couple of weeks is just a level of performance that going into that Rangers game that is it is a much it is a must-win game it, it is a game that if Celtic lose the league is officially over and they're not catching them so completely on board with that. I I do think that changing the team now so that as I mentioned earlier on, I don't I'm not judging Sorrow Turnbull as the saviors over the course of two games, but over five games, if we're still seeing that level of performance, then maybe yeah, the trend is there and we have enough evidence there to say that these guys should absolutely be in the t- team and we they should be playing in the derby as well. So massive game this Sunday at quarter past two before we go and before that game, we will be on the Celtic State of Mind um, 24-hour quadruple treble special. Um, haven't got a slot yet, we're not sure, but we will post it up on Twitter what time we're on at and when we're going to be speaking to you on that. And if you want to get involved in some of the many charities that they're raising funds for, all the links are on the Celtic State of Mind page and I'll also post them in the YouTube below that was the huddle breakdown episode six i think 
losing count at this stage. I'm, I'm just going to scrap the whole counting what episode we're on. We're going to continue on over the next couple of months anyway, but that's all we have time for uh, this week. We will be on the Celtic State of Mind either Saturday or Sunday. I'll let you know on Twitter. James, thanks for joining me today. And uh, always a pleasure. Alan will be back with us next week. I promise we didn't kill him. Chat to you later. In a rapidly changing world, people wonder more and more about where their food comes from and how it was grown. The farmers who grow America's corn understand how important this is and want to share the stories from our farms of how we are working to grow an incredible crop that can be an answer to sustainability questions and is grown by men and women who value the air, water, soil, and our natural resources just like you. To find out more about how corn farmers are working to feed and fuel a vibrant economy and healthy planet, visit NCGA.com. NCGA, a commitment to the future. 
now serving F-27 at DMV window number 16. Okay, Rose, we're second in line. Perfect, Rose. You remembered the birth certificate? Yes, and we have our electric bill. Excellent. We'll be Real ID ready in no time. Real ID ready to visit our grandson, Ricky, at Fort Bragg, then fly to New Orleans for Jazz Fest. Pardon me, are you talking to yourself? Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I am. Talk yourself into Real ID readiness by May 3rd, 2023. Make a plan at dhs.gov slash realid. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 